The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. When we last left Jesus and the apostles, they were coming down the mountain in Mark the ninth chapter. And when they got down the mountain, uh, beginning in verse 14, we read this account. In Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, that's the ones that were left, uh, he took Peter and James and John with him, but the ones that he left down the mountain, it says, When he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Bring him unto me. I want to preach to you tonight from the book of Mark on the subject of bring him unto me. Now, by way of review, we've already mentioned that this is immediately after the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. You'll remember that Peter and James and John went up the mountain with Jesus. And we talked about that last time, about the mountaintop experience that they had. But you remember that after the mountaintop experience, uh, they had to come back down the mountain. And we pointed out that it's important that we remember Jesus is certainly dwelling on the mountaintops. But those Assyrians over there thought that God was only the God of the hills. He was not the God of the valleys. And the, the, the Israelites proved them wrong in a big way. They slew over 100,000 in one day because, trust me, beloved, the Bible's clear. Our God is the God of the valleys, just like he's the God of the hills and the mountaintops. And whenever you go to the mountaintop, you've got to come back down. God didn't intend for us to live up there, as we'll mention again. We've said that many times. We'll mention it again, most likely, before the, uh, before the uh, uh, end of the message. But they're coming down the mountain now. They've come down from the mountaintop experience, and praise God, they're still with Jesus. And, and there's a couple of verses that we skipped over that I want to go back to before we get to our main text tonight. Uh, uh, I, I want to tell you, beloved, these, what happens in verses 9 through 13, uh, they happen uh, coming back down the mountain, not up on the mountaintop, but on the way down with Jesus. Remember, Anything we do that's with Jesus is, is, a, is a time when we can learn. You can learn some deep stuff when you're walking with Jesus. Now, sometimes it doesn't always sink in the first time. Don't be frustrated or surprised about that. Isaiah chapter 20, uh, 28 tells us that really clearly. Uh, verse 9, if I can get there quickly. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9 teaches us... Uh, 
that there are times, certainly, there, there certainly are times when God just seems to open up a revelation to us. He, he just, uh, uh, it's almost like he blinds us with his light. He did that with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, but sometimes, in most times, I will say, it's not that way. It's like, it's like this. It says in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge? You see, we certainly understand that God must win the heart. It's, you know, we're not out in a battle for the hearts of men because, in fact, the heart is desperately wicked. Uh, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, we're told in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, oftentimes we hear people say, give your heart to Jesus. As I repeat again what I've said many times that I heard an old preacher say one time, what in the world would he do with a nasty old thing if you took it to him? <laughs> hey, the, 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 the heart is deceitful. The heart is sin he has to give us a new heart. He has to give us a new spirit within us. That's what we call the new birth. And, uh, but, but, but once that person is born again, once you have a spirit to know the things of God, it's, it's a battle for the minds of God's children. That's what the church's battle is all about. It's about uh, renewing the mind. It's about learning. It's about growing in grace and knowledge of the truth. Where does that, where does that knowledge come? It comes into the head, you see. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, those that are already born. You see, they're born again right here. They have, they have life. Now listen to this though. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's the primary way that people learn the deep things of God's word. And don't get too worried about me saying deep things. They're all deep things, okay? It's really the milk of the Word of God. It's really what it is. He's feeding us with the milk and the meat of the Word of God. And these things here were deep things to them because they had no experience prior to this with, with this, this thing called resurrection. And, and remember in verses, verse 9 here, he said that uh, as they came down from the mountain, he charged them they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. He's teaching them about the resurrection. He'd already told them something about it in chapter 8. And it says, they kept that saying with themselves, questioning with one another what the rising from the dead should mean. I, I, I take some comfort from this in knowing that even the great apostles themselves did not understand uh, the, at first what it was that Jesus was about. And then they asked him a question about Elijah. He said, why the scribes, in verse 10, why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus puts to bed any questions about uh, who Elijah was and who John the Baptist was. He says, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be said at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come and they have done unto him whatsoever they listeth listed as it is written of him. Now, I don't want to get too far off the track of what I want to preach to you about tonight, but just let me encourage you to go back and read the first chapter of Luke, especially uh, down about verse, uh, verse 17, where uh, the ga angel Gabriel is telling Zechariah about his son, who, who we will know as John the Baptist, that's going to be born, and he says he'll go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. And that's, that's what he's talking about here. He is, he is not literally Elijah, but he is the one who 
who is the, uh, the precursor to the Christ who is prophesied as coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, remember what I said. There is so much you can learn when you're walking with Jesus. There's not much you can learn on your own. You can get a lot of knowledge, but you won't ever uh, be able to put it together. But when you're with Jesus, you know, he says in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. What does that mean? That means spend the time. Uh, put away, you've got to buy the truth. You've got to, uh, you've got to uh, spend something of value in order to get the truth. It's not money. <laughs> it's not money. I'll tell you what it is. You want to know what it is? The secret is time. It's time. Uh, go back to the Psalm, the 119th Psalm sometime, and you'll see about all the times he encourages you to meditate upon the Word of God. Sure, I could watch the football game. I could watch the baseball game, the World Series. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying you should put aside all recreations. But if you're going to buy the truth, that means you're going to have to exchange something else for it. You're, and that's your time. You're going to have to focus upon it. Uh, I, I, you know, I tell you, the worst thing that ever hit me was these little smartphones that have these games on it. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't watch it, you can spend all of your time playing these little games. I, I have been sitting around before checking on Facebook, checking on uh, something else online maybe, or, or playing a little game. And then I'd, I'd be thinking, now, how much time have I wasted doing this that I could have been in the Word of God? I could have been with Jesus. I don't think Jesus is in Candy Crush, okay? I don't think he is. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure he's not. But, uh, but I'll tell you this, he's in the Word of God. If you spend time with him, you can do There is no limit to what you can learn. But it's not all at once. It's not going to be uh, all. I mean, it can be. The Lord has, has done that to me from time to time. I've experienced, especially in church, when I'd be sitting under somebody preaching in the power and demonstration of the Spirit, it'd be like a light turned on on some verse that I didn't have any light on. And God can certainly do that. But mostly it's here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, line upon line. It takes study. It takes dedication to learn these things and to try to get a grasp on them. And now we get to where we are tonight. When he comes down the mountain with these three disciples, who, by the way, had their own problems on the mountaintop, Peter didn't know what to say. <laughs> Remember that? He said, he, he said, he just didn't know what to say, so he just started talking. You know, I know people like that. I look in the mirror at somebody like that sometimes. And he, uh, and he said, let's just build three tabernacles, one to you, one to Elijah, and one to Moses. And, of course, you know, God set, him, set them straight. But then he comes back down the mountain, and he finds some more faithlessness on the part of several different people. But let's, let's see what he's done here. It says, when he came there, there was a dispute going on between his disciples and the scribes, and there was a problem that they were trying to deal with and not having very much success. One of the first lessons I think we need to learn from this passage is this, beloved. Trying to handle a problem yourself is a sure path to failure. It's a sure path to failure. You know, as I said, the mountaintop is a wonderful place. We need to visit it from time to time. I need a mountaintop experience from time to time. But we aren't meant to stay on the mountain. We're needed in the valleys. We're needed in the highways and the byways of this life. God intended for us not to go camp out on the mountain 
and, and divorce ourselves from the world. He meant for us to be engaged with those around us. He meant for us to be a part of this world, not, not in the sense of becoming worldly, but he says you, you, you've got to be here in this world in order to relate to and to minister to those around you. And immediately coming down, we find this dispute and this man who has a son with a problem the disciples couldn't handle on their own. Notice in verse 17, he says, my son has a dumb spirit. It's a spirit of muteness. And what this spirit does is it tears him. It tears him. And, and, it, and it causes all kinds of problems for him. The word tear there in verse, um, verse 20, for particularly after they brought the child to Jesus, the spirit, quote, tear him. Uh, and that's literally, it's a word that literally means to mangle. But, but the idea here is the convulsions. It's causing him to convulse. We might call it epilepsy today. It was some form of epileptic fit. And notice what it did to him. None of these words sound good, do they? I don't want to be, be, be like this, this man. He says, it teareth, it, it, he foameth, he gnasheth with his teeth, he, he pineth. And that word literally means, in the, in the Greek, it means to grind your teeth, to grind your teeth. It's almost like they have to stick something in his mouth uh, between his teeth to keep him from biting through his tongue or causing his teeth to break. Matthew's account is found in the 17th chapter of Matthew. It's a pretty succinct description by his father here. I just thought I'd look at, we'd look at it for a second. In chapter 17 and verse 14, it says, When they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For, that, that's a hard thing for a father to admit about a son, isn't it? That, that's a hard, you know, I'll tell you this, beloved. You never, you're never going to get anywhere with the Lord Jesus Christ covering up a problem. You've got to come to him admitting a problem, acknowledging the truth. The Lord doesn't deal in falsehoods and deceit. He knows anyway. <laughs> he already knows. You remember the woman at the well? I love that account. I love that account because not for several reasons. One is it just shows the great love and compassion that God has for his children. And it shows that he's not going to let anybody, nobody's outcast with the Lord. Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? Uh, but he says, go call your husband. He gives her a chance to lie to him, doesn't he? <laughs> and she says, I, I, I don't have a husband. She was honest with him. You know, and you know, it was a good thing she was because the Lord already knew. He said, you're exactly right. I already knew that. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Isn't that something? He said, he said Lord, have mercy on my son. He's got a problem. It's a terrible problem, and I, don't, I can't do anything for him. He's a lunatic. He's sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And notice what happens then. <laughs> notice in verse 19, the Lord is frustrated, it seems. The Lord's not happy with somebody. He says, answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? In other words, I'm here and notice that his, his frustration, if you want to call it that, his, uh, I mean, I know in one sense the Lord was never frustrated, but what I'm, what I'm saying is he showed emotion. And his emotion here was one of, uh, uh, of almost exasperation because how many times has he looked at his disciples and said, Oh, ye of little faith. 
And then he goes right back and they see more miracles. They see him transfigured even. Now these didn't, I know that. But, but they've seen all these miracles and they still, <clears throat> they still don't have the faith that they need. Now, now it, it would be easy for us to, to criticize, wouldn't it? To be, oh, man, if I'd just been there. I'd... No, let me just say this to you. There's not, the only difference between us and the apostles is they were probably better than we are. <laughs> you know, they're probably more faithful than we are. If you think about your life, at least the way I look at my life, you know, I think, well, surely if I'd been Peter, I wouldn't have denied him. Let me tell you, beloved, I'm no better than Peter. You're no better than Peter. We've all got the same nature. We've all got the same problem. We're going to see something here that I hope will help us about identifying with one of the problems that is, that is common to humanity. But here he's not, he is not frustrated with, his criticism is not of the Father, okay? But it's of the disciples. He says, he's talking to the disciples here, you faithless generation. I, I've been with you. How long am I going to be here? How long shall I put up with you, suffer you, you see? <clears throat> see, the disciples had been with him. They had seen his miracles. They had known his power. And I will say this to you, beloved. Uh, there's, a, there's a principle in Scripture that's, that says this, and it's actually a verse that says, uh, to whom much is given shall much be required. I know people today who have very little faith. And, and that they don't have, they haven't um, had the, the blessing of, of a church like we've got. Uh, or being raised like I was raised in, in church. And I've noticed some things in my walk in this life that it, is, it seems like there are times when, when, when those folks with so little faith, it seems like they get, they get something that happens that, that, that just, um, uh, you know, it just, it, 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 it's like a sign almost. It's almost like it's just a visible working of God that you just can't hardly deny. I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. I'll tell you this, it's happened in my own life. Many, many years ago, there was a time when the Lord um, clearly, clearly saved my life. Uh, and I, I knew him and I, I trusted him and I, I believed in him, but I, I wasn't very old and I hadn't uh, I hadn't had a lot of experience. I hadn't had years like I have now of, of searching the Scriptures and knowing what it says in the Word of God. But, uh, but, but on that particular day, I know He was with me. I can, I can oftentimes look back and say, you know, I don't know, uh, I don't feel Him every day, but I felt Him that day. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's as if the Lord makes allowances for our, for our lack of faith, for our faithlessness, for what we don't know. And he often overcomes it. But when we know about God, when we've been with Jesus, when we've walked with Jesus, when we've seen these things that he's done for us, I'll tell you, it would be a travesty if any of us who have been a part of the revival that has occurred here at Zion ever sat down on the side of the road and said, I just don't believe the Lord is with us. <laughs> We've seen so much that's occurred in our own lives here. We, we, I trust you've searched the Scripture. I trust you've grown in knowledge, particularly of what the, the Bible says about God. And it is, it is the worst thing for someone to be faithless when he has proven it over and over and over to you that he's faithful. You know, he, he expects us to learn something in life. <laughs> He doesn't expect us to always go around and every day is a new day. I remember the, there was a movie called 51st Dates. And it was, a, it was about a girl who had had a head injury. 
And every morning she woke up thinking it was, you know, years ago, whatever day she had the head injury, she thought it was that day she forgot everything that happened in between. So every day was a brand new day for her, and she had to be taught over and over again who she had, you know, on that day she'd fallen in love. She'd gotten married. She'd had a child, and she forgot about all that. She had to be taught that every day. Beloved, our lives ought not to be like 51st dates. The Lord ought not have to woo us every day, you know? We ought, to be, we ought to be able to trust him. And these disciples had, had been with him and had seen what he had done. They'd seen all these miracles. That's who he was directing this to. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? But then notice what he said. Bring him unto me. Bring him unto me. Beloved, trying to handle a problem yourself is the surest path to failure I know. But bringing your problem to Jesus is the greatest path to victory there is. Bring him unto me, he said. Bring him to me. Let me tell you, beloved, there's a song we sing in this songbook called Never a Friend Like Thee. I'll, I, I testify to you on the authority of the Word of God and on the authority of the experiences I've had in my own life. And some of these other preachers and others of you could testify to the same thing on the authority of the experiences I've had in my life. There's never a friend like Jesus. And praise God, He's not just the friend of the righteous. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. There's never a problem, no matter how big the problem is, no matter how faithless you've been. <laughs> There's never a problem that he cannot or won't take when you bring it to him. Remember what business he's in. Remember, he's not in the, he certainly he teaches and he's, he, he's, he's done great miracles. But beloved, the, the work that he came to do was a saving work. He's in the saving business, beloved. And notice as we continue to read the great compassion he had to the man who came seeking his help. He said, bring him unto me. In verse 20, they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, that's the, the child, straightway the spirit tear him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. <laughs> oh, Jesus here says something to him that's something we need, to, we need to never forget. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Isn't that something? All things are possible to him that believeth. Jesus affirms that faith is absolutely necessary to our discipleship with him if you're going to walk with him if you're going to bring you know bringing our problems to jesus and when we approach him we must approach him in faith i i don't mean to be overly critical but well yes i do i do mean to be overly critical i mean to be extremely critical of what i what i see out there in the world is a prosperity gospel this idea that, uh, that, you, that, that it's just a matter of your faith, and if you bring enough to God in faith, He's going to just triple it or quadruple it or turn it all, take $1,000 and turn it into 10000 Oh, I tell you, I've, I've watched a few. <laughs> I don't want to get off on this, but I'll just say I watched a few 
YouTube videos this past week on this, uh, these mega church preachers, these televangelists that are, uh, there's two or three of them that were justifying their, their, not just their request, it was almost a demand of their congregation that they finance a $65 million private jet for them to be able to, to travel around the world on. And, and they just couldn't take, they couldn't take, <laughs> They couldn't preach the gospel like they need to without a $65 million jet. Hey, I'll just take a Cadillac, okay? That's all I need. I'm just kidding. Please don't ever, ever let me. Well, if I get up here and say something like that, I, I don't think it would take long. Brother Mackey would, would throw the cane at me, and Brother Glennon would be up here, and Brother Bob might shoot me. I don't know. We'd be, we'd be, we'd be I think y'all know enough not to listen to me if I start preaching like that. But, but the very idea that, uh, uh, that there are those that preach, that, that pervert faith, the teachings of faith in that way. If you just be faithful and send me $1,000, uh, the Lord will bless you and he'll get me a plane. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. But what he is saying here is that in our walk with him, faith is necessary. Remember what, what the book of Hebrews says in the 11th chapter, that great hall of faith over there. He says in verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please the Lord without faith. We must have faith. And what's the definition of faith? Faith in chapter one, uh, 11 and verse 1 of that very same chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Beloved, the very definition of faith uh, is, is, is that it's, it's, it's almost touchable, if you will. It's, uh, it's palpable. It's, it's real. It's not, but, but, it, <clears throat> but let me just say this. Also, by its very definition, it is unavailable to the unregenerate. You see, as I stand here before you tonight, there's all kinds of radio waves and television waves, now satellite waves and rays passing right through this church. There's probably an episode of Seinfeld going on right here among us, you know, somewhere out here. You know why? You know, you know what though? I can't, I can't see it. I can't view it. You know why? Because I don't have a receiver. What do you got to have to get the satellite signal? You got to have a satellite receiver to take that signal and translate it to where you can see it. Beloved, uh, that's, 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 what, uh, uh, that's what the teaching is about the new birth is we have to be born again. He said, Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot, he can't see it. That doesn't mean just see it with the physical eyes like you can't see the church building when you drive by. That's not what he's talking about. That word see there is the same word that Archimedes used when he was running through the streets naked saying, I have found it. I have, I have seen it rather. I have seen it. He was a mathematician back over there in Greece, and he, 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 he solved some problem while he was in the baths, the Greek baths over there, and jumped out and ran through the streets yelling, Eureka, I have seen it. I have seen it, you see. And praise God, that's, that's what it takes. By its very definition, faith is unavailable to the natural man because 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. We're told in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 that faith is a fruit of the Spirit, but the natural man doesn't receive that. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, but for they are spiritually discerned. He says, faith is necessary to a walk of discipleship. We must have faith. How do we get faith? Well, this is not a message on the new birth. But we're told, as I said, that faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Guess how we get the Spirit? 
through the new birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a gulf there that no man can span. I'll tell you, beloved, that, that those that are in the flesh don't have faith. But praise God, when you're born of the spirit, he gives you faith. <laughs> now, I will say this, and that's, this is where we are tonight. And that's why I want to lay that, that foundation. <clears throat> I've got a bicep, okay? It's a muscle, right? I've already got it. I've already got it. Okay? Now, quite frankly, I have let my bicep, uh, I won't say it's atrophied, but it's, it's, not, as, it's not as strong as, as Mason's bicep. You know why? Because Mason has worked that bicep out a lot more than I have. <laughs> now, over the years, and, and of course, y'all know my back troubles, part of my problem right now is, is I got a lot of muscles in this body that have not been worked at all over the past 25 or 30 years that I tried to work them all at once and, uh, and, and that, don't, that doesn't work out too well. So, but, uh, but, but faith is like that, beloved. Faith is like one of your muscles. When, it says, uh, when, it says, when you go to work out at the gym, you're not going to work out in order to get muscles. You're going to work out the muscles you already have. When he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He said, he don't, you're not working out in order to get salvation. You're working out the salvation you already have. And that's my point tonight, beloved. This is written to us. This is written to those who have been born of the Spirit. This is written, he says, he says to you and I, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. In other words, do you have a problem that's insurmountable? Do you have a problem that's impossible in your life? Do you have a situation that there's no way, no earthly way you can work it out because you've tried? Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Believe. Believe in Him. Jesus affirms that faith is absolutely necessary for discipleship. But now I want you to notice something that's that's encouraging to me. You say, preacher, this next statement is encouraging to you. Yes, it is encouraging to me because it fits my case. Straightway, verse 24, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now this man here, this man was not some proud Pharisee that puffed up his chest when, God, when Jesus said, if you just believe, all things are possible. He said, oh, yes, I'm a believer. Yes, I've taken all the necessary steps. I've done all the right things. I've read the Bible. I am a believer. He didn't puff his chest out. He didn't, he didn't sit up and say, uh, is this some kind of academic exercise? Let me, he didn't, this, man, this man understood that faith is impossible to perfectly achieve. He, he recognized his own limitations. And I want to say to you, beloved, that's where I find myself so many times. Is that not the case with you? Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. We don't, don't turn back there, but if you think about, remember when we talked about the leper in Mark chapter 1, about verse 40? There was a leper that came to Jesus, and he believed that the leper knew that he could but he didn't know if he would. He said, Lord, if you, if you will, you can heal me. <laughs> the, the, the father here 
believed that he would, but he wasn't sure that he could. See, he said, he said Lord, you know, uh, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Have compassion. Seen, I, I believe this man had heard about Jesus. He had seen the compassion. He'd heard about how much he, how, how good care he took. He, he just wasn't sure yet. He just wasn't completely sure. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. That's where I am so many times. Lord, I know you, I know you can do it. Sometimes I, I, I'm like the leper. I know you can. I just don't know if you will. Sometimes I'm like this man. I know that you will, but I just don't know if you can. <laughs> it just doesn't look like it. Now, sometimes I get so far back in my flesh, I think, Lord, it's just no way. There's just no help in this situation. There's just no hope here, is there? Boy, I tell you what, I, I don't... I don't know what I'd have done. I'm afraid I wouldn't have been Moses at the Red Sea. I'm afraid I'd have been one of those detractors that said, oh, if you brought us out here that we might die. Because there's just no hope. There's a sea in front. There's an army behind. There's nothing in, the, in this world that looks like there's any hope for me here. You remember what the Lord did? He parted the Red Sea. He, you know, I'd have, been, I'd have been scheming about maybe we can hire a flotilla to come down here and to pick us up, or maybe we can turn and fight and do it ourselves. But let me, you remember what we said? Handling a problem by yourself is the surest way, surest path to failure that I know. They turned it over. You know what God told Moses? He said, stand still and see the salvation of God. I like that. Sometimes we need to do that. <laughs> Bring our problems to Jesus. This man, this man came to Jesus. But he was so painfully aware of the limitations of his own faith. Lord, I try. Don't, don't, you, don't you get him? Well, I do. Lord, I try, but I just can't quite get it right. Lord, I believe, but I realize my faith is weak. My faith is incomplete. Lord, help me in spite of me. How many times have I had to pray that prayer? This man, I, I, I get this man. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And praise the Lord. We're dealing with a God that's not limited by our faithlessness. He's not limited by our lack of belief. He is, he is able to overcome even the faithlessness of his disciples and the faithlessness of this poor father who was so torn. Notice in verse 25, when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. Notice what Jesus did. Jesus, first of all, he didn't browbeat the Father for his lack of faith. I'm so thankful to hear that. I mean, there... The Lord has been so, so merciful to me in so many situations where I've been faithless. He didn't browbeat his father for that. He, he took the, you know what he did? This is what I love about the Lord. I, I, this is my prayer, Brother Mackey. When I'm dealing with somebody, uh, when I'm trying to deal with somebody who's got a problem, it's, that, it's not that I would be, appear to be wise or that I would appear to have all the answers. It's, it's, it's Lord, please guide me into the most appropriate steps to take to help this person to increase their faith. Because, see, that's ultimately, that's ultimately what we need, no matter what, whether, whether the healing actually comes or whether it doesn't, whether death overtakes. What we need is more faith. What we need is not 
the answers to all life's questions. And in fact, you'll never get all the answers as to why all these things occur and, and what, what, the, uh, what, what the, uh, uh, the, the cause of all of them is. But I'll tell you this, in every situation, you can have more faith. See, I don't, I'd like to have more money, but what I really need is more Jesus. I mean, I'd, I'd like to have, maybe, maybe you're in the position where you'd like to, uh, you'd like to have a spouse, you'd like to be married, but, but really, and, and, and that's a good goal. You know, he that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, but what you need more than that is more Jesus, you see. Uh, may, maybe, maybe there's some uh, social situation uh, or some problem at work, and you think, well, I need this to happen, I need that to happen. No, what you need is to bring your problems to Jesus. Because you see, Something here that's interesting to me is that Jesus didn't actually do what the Father wanted right away. You notice that? He said, bring him to me. But when they brought him to him, he didn't snap his fingers or wiggle his nose and suddenly he was, he was healed. No, it says they brought him to him and before he did anything, there was another convulsion that overtook this young man. This demon tore him. And he fell on the ground, and, and, he, and, and right here in front of, you, you know, we often say right here in front of God and everybody, literally in front of God and everybody there, this demon tore him, and this young man that the father was uh, so concerned about, he had even, he had been honest about it, no doubt it, it just, no doubt it hurt him to see it, yet it occurred right there in public, right there in front of everybody. He had another one of the convulsions. And then Jesus didn't say, okay, be healed. He looked at the daddy and said, how long has it been? <laughs> now, now, wouldn't you and I, I know me, maybe not you, maybe you'd been more patient, but I know me, I'm, I'm impatient. I might have been thinking, Lord, what does it matter? <laughs> you see what the problem is? Why does it matter how long it's been? How long ago is it since it came on him? Uh, what does it matter? Jesus is talking to him here about some things. He has a conversation with him. After the convulsion, he conversed with the father about faith. He didn't just immediately do what he wanted. What's the lesson here? Well, I think one of the lessons is that, first of all, bringing this child to Jesus was absolutely the right thing. Absolutely, no doubt. Bringing your problem to Jesus, beloved, is the right thing. But now that we have brought him to Jesus, now that we have brought our problem to him, we need to trust him to take care of the matter in his own way, in his own time. See, isn't it true that we often don't bring the whole problem to him? Sometimes we bring the problem to him and say, say Lord, now here's the problem, now here's how to fix it. <laughs> I'm praying, I want you to fix the problem by doing A, B, C, and D. You know, that's what we want, right? That, that we like to tell the Lord what to do. No, beloved, we need to bring all of it to Him. That includes our wishes and our desires for how it should be taken care of. Leave it with Him. 
uh, going back to the Red Sea, if Moses had, had, I don't know what Moses knew. I don't know if he knew the Lord was about to part the Red Sea or not, but I, whatever he knew, I, I, I tend to think he didn't know exactly what was about to happen. Moses could have hit his knees and said, now, Lord, we got this problem. There's a two ways I see that we can fix it, okay? We can, we, you can give us uh, superpowers and we can go back and beat the, uh, the, the Egyptians ourselves, or you can bring us a bunch of boats and we can float across the water, <laughs> And, 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 and the Lord, I can almost, if that is what indeed he did, if he had done that, I can see the Lord saying, no, 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 no. You don't know what I know. <laughs> you don't know how powerful I am. You don't know what my plan is for your deliverance in this case. And he delivered them in a way that was miraculous. <laughs> miraculous. Beloved, this, this father clearly was, was, was so broken and so at the end of his rope that he brought the whole problem to Jesus. He said, Lord, I don't know how to fix it. You ever been there? I've been there. I've been there some. I've been there where I've felt like I knew, you know, and said, Lord, do this, this, and this. <laughs> but the best prayers I've ever prayed, the most spiritual prayers I've ever prayed, have been those prayers when my heart was broken and my faith was weak. And I just came to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. But I know you can do everything. And I trust this problem with you. You see what Jesus did then? He took the spirit. He rebuked it. I mean, there's, there's no issue. The Lord's not struggling with this problem, is he? Isn't it funny? Sometimes we forget that. All the problems we're struggling with, the Lord's not struggling with them at all. He has no issues with them. He, he's, you say, well, I just don't know if the Lord can handle this. He can handle it. Probably may already have handled it <laughs> before you know it, you see. He just spoke the word. The demon came out. But notice that the Lord didn't march off in a triumphant parade like the, like the Roman generals would do. And, and say, look at me, look how great I am. You know what the Lord did? This little boy, I don't know how old he was, but he was a boy, young man. He fell down after that, that demon tore him. It says, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Yes, Jesus was concerned with his disciples. Yes, he was concerned with the scribes and proving to them that he was God. Yes, he was concerned with the Father in helping to increase his faith. But the Lord's compassion extends to every single one of his children. And this little boy, whatever age he was, that had been painfully afflicted even before the Lord right there, he reached down his hand and he took him and he lifted him up. When Jairus' daughter was laying and had died, actually, and he went in there and he, he brought life back to her. You remember what he did then? You know, everybody else was praising, you know, shouting for joy and doing all this. They forgot to feed her. <laughs> he said, bring her something to eat. Bring her something to eat. You know, I love that. Now, I preached on that already. But I'll say this to you. Isn't there a great uh, similarity in that case? In the case of the child of God that's, that's just been born again. Isn't in, in there, in there something sweet about that? There was a time when, when the, uh, 
the 4,000 were gathered and the Lord looked at them and he had compassion on them because they were, they were scattered like sheep not having a shepherd. And you know what the Lord said? He said, he said y'all find something to eat for them. Of course, you know the story. He eventually turned seven loaves and fish and the two little fishes into, into food for 5,000 or 4,000. He said, I will not send them away fasting. Isn't that, a, isn't that a glorious statement? You know what the Lord's doing tonight? Through, through this very feeble servant, he's feeding his children. He's feeding us. He's not going to send us away fasting. Beloved, the truth is here on this earth. We, I know we live in a postmodern society. The postmodernism simply says there's no way you can know any truth. What's true for you is, is, it may be different than what's true for me, but we're both true. Two plus two does not equal five, okay? Two plus two always equals four. There is truth, beloved. The truth is contained in his word. Now, as we sort of bring this to a close here, I want you to notice something else. That there was a problem with the disciples. It says, They departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not the saying and were afraid to ask him. They were afraid. They had some fear going on. And then he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? He, he, you know, I, it, would have been, it would have been really, uh, really tough uh, 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 walking around with Jesus all the time. You, you couldn't have any secrets, could you? <laughs> well, I got news for you. You're walking around with Jesus every day. Too, and there aren't any secrets, all right? And you say, boy, I'm glad I'm not here with him. And he's, well, hey, he knows all your secrets. He knows what you were thinking about. He knows what you were disputing about. He knows what you were disputing in your mind about, what you were holding against your brother. It says they held their peace. They didn't want him to know. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. <laughs> mm. Notice the, this, this may be a little, a little insight here into the reason the disciples were so ineffective in dealing with this problem. First of all, they tried to do it themselves. Jesus wasn't with them physically, and they, and they didn't, clearly didn't point them to him uh, uh, when they were there. In verse 28, it says, When he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So what they did is they admitted to him that they didn't have the ability to help this person, and they said, Why? That's a good thing. We need to know why. When we face a problem and we, we mess it up, so to speak, we need to know why. Well, he, he gives them the first little insight into it, and that is this, that, that there is no help for you apart from Jesus and how do we stay in tune with Jesus uh, by staying in his word and by praying unto him <laughs> there's no shame in petitioning God for help the apostle said in one place Lord increase our faith beloved that ought to be a prayer we pray every day Lord increase our faith build it up build us up and Paul said his purpose in one case in writing to one of the uh, churches that he wrote to was to build them up in the most holy faith he, that's, that's our purpose in being here tonight is to be built up in faith 
He said there's no shame in petitioning him. And his, and his diagnosis of the problem was clear and concise. He said, you got to pray in order for these kinds of things to happen. Prayer and fasting. What's he talking about? Prayer and devotion to him. Fasting is, fasting is something that we can still do today. Fasting, that doesn't always necessarily mean not eating. Uh, it, it may mean fasting from Facebook. <laughs> Maybe it's denying something to yourself in order, and it's not just denying. You know, I've, I've fasted before in an effort to lose weight. I didn't get any spiritual benefit out of that, brother buddy, not one bit. I just got mad because I was hungry, you know. <laughs> I, I won't, but if I fast, if I deny myself food in order that I may, uh, every time the hunger pangs hit me, I can, fa- I can focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, whatever it is that I'm denying myself, I deny it uh, to myself in order that I may spend more time in His Word. Then that's the kind of faith increase that He's talking about here. Even Jesus needed to commune with his father from time to time. How many times did he go up into a mountain alone to pray? How much more do we need it? And then notice, as we said, he began to teach them the truth of his purpose here and what happened. They got afraid. Fear and faith cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you have bravado and you don't feel any fear whatsoever. You're, you're never going to get it just right. You're going to be like this man. Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling. I need your help. You know, but fear, as fear increases, faith decreases. As faith increases, fear decreases. They have an inverse relationship to one another. And then, as we read in verses 33 and 34, notice what the other problem was. They were jockeying for position in the kingdom of God. Man, they were in there saying, "Who? wait a minute, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest, you know. I don't know who was saying what. Maybe Thomas, maybe Andrew, maybe one of the other apostles, maybe Peter. Maybe Peter said, oh, it's clear I'm the greatest. I talk the most. <laughs> well, that's, that's not a sign of being the greatest, I can tell you that. Uh, you see, the problem was they didn't have their focus correct. Now, he's about to teach them one of the most important lessons about the kingdom of God, and that is, is that you cannot... Take the world's approach and put, it, put that paradigm into the kingdom of God. You cannot approach the kingdom of God like you would approach your workplace in the world. In fact, let me just say that you ought not to approach anything in this world the way the world says to do it. I've said this many times. that The world's view of success is like a pyramid. The farther you climb to the top, the more people you are commanding. The more people you're that are under you and you're on top of, you're in charge of. The, the kingdom of God turns that pyramid upside down, flips the paradigm, and says, you know, the greatest among you is the least. The farther down you go and the more people above you that you're serving, the greater you are in the kingdom of God. And that's a message for another day. But let me just, let me just leave you with this. Jesus here gives these disciples, and specifically this man, the best advice that, e- that we could ever give to anyone struggling in this life. And in fact, it's advice we ought to take ourselves. He says, if you've got a problem, you've got a situation, you've got troubles, bring it to me. Bring him to me. You've got somebody you're concerned about. You've got somebody you're worried about. You've got a relationship problem. You've got a work problem. You've got a social problem 
circle problem, you got a problem at home in the family, bring it to me. That's what Jesus says. Because you know what? Even though you may not possess all faith, and even though you may not possess perfect faith, and let me just go ahead and tell you, you won't ever. You will never possess perfect faith. The Lord will help your unbelief. And more than that, you can trust him with every problem you've got in life. There is nothing that he can't handle. You say, well, preacher, I, I don't know if I need to bother him with all my little problems. Little problems? What big problem do you have? You say, Jesus, I need a new universe. Okay? Pew, 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 pew. He speaks it into existence if he wanted to. See, that wasn't a problem for him. I mean, making a universe would be a pretty big deal to me, but not to the Lord. He just snaps his fingers. He speaks it. The star, I need a star, Lord. It's just this finger work, you see. Don't hesitate to bring every problem you have to the Lord. He will hear. He says, he says bring him to me. Bring him to me. And when you bring it to Jesus, that's the surest path to victory that we have in this life. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. 